want to say welcome to all who are here. We are thankful that you came out today. It wasn't particularly easy uh, to come out in, in this weather, but uh, we're thankful for each one who came. Um, you regular Sweet Communion, you know the drill, and that's this. It's Wisconsin. We're going to have snow. That's almost a guarantee. It's almost equally a guarantee that we won't close service because of snow. What we do is this. If you can make it, you come. And those who can make it, um, come and we worship God just as we would at any other time. If you can't make it, and you, you have to make that judgment. Uh, sometimes that judgment is made for you by the conditions and you literally can't leave your home. And uh, then, then you can't do more than you can do. And if you can and you feel it's safe to do so, then you do it. Um, now, some people go by risk assessment. Is it a risk? I don't do that. It's, it's, it's a risk whatever you do. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we don't live by fear and assessing risks that way. But if, if you make a decision to serve the Lord and he allows you to be able to be here, then get here. And if God allows me to be here, I'll be here and we'll have service. It's just two of us. We'll go on and, and, and worship together. So praise God. So that's, that's, that's our cancellation policy. There is none. Um, so we want to thank you for coming, being faithful today. And if you couldn't make it, perhaps you're watching over, over the Internet. We welcome you to our service and, and our time together. I want to make a mention. We've announced this in our email that um, this week um, Sister Lola Spears has passed and gone to be with the Lord. And that's a sad time and a loss to those who were so very close and, and, and family and church. But it's also a joyous time because the Bible says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And he's planned our every moment. And what a special moment when the curtains come down and we're ushered into his presence when we know him and we know that we know him. We have that security in what Christ has done. She lived out that faith, and we praise God for the faith that she had and sharing uh, with us as we had that time to do while she was here. We don't have arrangements uh, made yet for all of the, the funeral, but as soon as we get those, we will announce them to you. We are planning on having it here at the church. We just don't know the date and the time yet, but we'll have uh, those announcements out as soon as we can get. You can uh, stay tuned, especially on your your church prayer email. We'll be sure to put it there and uh, word of mouth and, and other ways as well. So look forward to that. Our scripture reading this morning is found in Mark chapter 2 as we continue our series through the gospel of Mark. So turn there in your Bibles. We're reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version is our custom here at Sweet Communion. So when you find it, uh, uh, stand with me, and we will read and give attention to the Word of God. If you don't have your own Bible, we have Bibles that our ushers can pass out. Raise your hand, and they'll bring one to you that you can use throughout our service. Mark chapter 1. Please follow along with me as I read. Excuse me, Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. 
And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he arose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he, he reclined in his house, many tax collectors, excuse me, as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of, unsh of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. 
May God give us understanding this portion of scripture that we read today as we preach the text of Mark chapter 2 this morning. Please bow with me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your, the, your protection that you've given us for those who traveled in the snow. We thank you for a place we have where we can open our doors, where we can meet and we can come and we can worship. We thank you for each one that's here that had a heart to worship. We thank you for those who wanted to be here and couldn't make it for whatever reason, some for health, some because of snow, and maybe others for other reasons. And we just pray, Lord, that you would um, um, use our meeting time together. We thank you for the uh, technology that allows us to speak and use the internet to, to reach others who can't be here in person. And we pray, Lord, that they might use this um, and that you will allow this message as it goes out, the service as it goes out today, to be a blessing to those who, who see and hear. And so we, we thank you for, for your goodness, for your grace that takes us through. We do pray um, for the Lola Spears family. Uh, we, we pray, Lord, as we look forward to the service that we might be able to minister to that family. We thank you for um, Lola, uh, her life, her testimony, her love for your people here. Whenever she could, she would be here when her health allowed her, and she just was a joyous person, rejoicing in you, and had a good testimony of her faith in you. We thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that that testimony would be something that reminds her family and and turns her family and points her family to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they too might trust in Christ as she did and might come to know you, might come to serve you and obey you in all that you have for, for, for them to do. So we pray your grace as we look forward to that service. Now bless the preaching of your word today. Um, may it um, move and challenge, motivate, encourage, and uh, convict hearts and minds as we look on it today. May it bring about a response that brings uh, glory to you in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I want to thank our specialists for coming with that today. I don't think it was planned normally, but they were ready and it ministered to our hearts today. So praise God for that. Last week in chapter one of Mark, we saw the key. Jesus is revealing his authority and we see that key continuing into chapter two. And so what you're looking at is we look at four different events. Jesus heals this paralytic man. He calls Levi. And then he has questions that's uh, addressed to him. The question about fasting and a question about Sabbath. So those are the four sections of this chapter. And each four of those events, again, point to the central theme 
that the gospel writers is getting uh, us to see in that this Jesus, the Son of Man, has authority and he speaks and he lives in that authority. Now, all authority comes from God. All authority. Um, and God chose, in, remember in, in, in chapter 1, when Jesus began his ministry and his baptism of John the Baptist, the heavens opened and we heard a voice from heaven say, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And that is, in essence, say, I am God of everything, and this is my son. And I want you to see that he's been walking on earth for 30 years. He's, he's taken on a human body. He is fully human. But what you can't see is that he's also fully divine. He is fully God. This is my son. And God is expressing that his authority has come down in the, in the sense of his son. And so we get what we have never seen before. The writer in, God, in, in Mark doesn't go through the birth of Christ, but in Matthew we see that phrase that he is Emmanuel, to take that Old Testament phrase meaning God, God the Father, with us. And so he has no less authority than God the Father has. And we see that lived out. You know what? It's such an amazing thing. It'll just blow our minds when we see it. And that's exactly what it does when it's acted out in the gospel. So let's take a look at it, particularly chapter 2. Jesus heals this paralytic man. What happens? It says this man, first of all, it says Jesus has returned to Capernaum. And he has ministered around the area of Galilee. If you look on the map that's in your Bible, you'll see that in the northern section there of Israel. And everywhere he goes, there's a crowd there because they're just amazed at the things that he says and the things that he does. And we mentioned in chapter two, in chapter one, so many things happen. And one of the things that happened when Jesus would, would heal a person, uh, when he would... Uh, uh, um, remove demons from a, a demon-possessed person, he would say, now don't, don't run and tell everybody. And there's a reason why he, he knew that the crowds gathering, people would come for fascination. They'd be fascinated by what he did, and they would gather around him, and that's exactly what started to happen. And he wanted to be able to move freely and to speak to people and to speak to their hearts. But what happens is people get fascinated by the miracles, instead of taking the information they should get from the miracles, that he is in authority, that he is Lord, they're simply fascinated, almost like they're at a show. It's like, wow, that was cool. Show me something else. It's like, dude, you missed the whole point. What was the point of Jesus' miracles? He said, well, you know, some people think today his, his whole point is to come and heal everybody. He didn't heal everybody then. He healed many people. But that was to show his power and his authority. I would imagine, we saw in chapter 1, he healed Peter's mother-in-law. I would imagine she probably got sick again. Right? She had something. And I know she died later, as Peter died. 
So all the people that Jesus healed eventually um, succumbed to something. What was the purpose of his healing them? Well, to show forth the glory of God, to show his power. So it wasn't just to, to heal and make everything sweet and nice. People think today, if I, if I trust God, he's just going to throw this blessing over my life and everything's going to be rosy, everything's going to be great. And in other words, they, they kind of view God as their own personal genie. God, make my life sweet. Give me three wishes. I remember as a young kid, I, I said, you know, I'm going to be smart. If I ever get three wishes, the first thing I'm going to do is wish for more. <laughs> Give me more wishes so my wishes never run out. Three ain't enough. But sometimes, sometimes we look at God that way. You, you, I pray to you, you give me what I want. Life is sweet. That's not what God's purpose is, and that's not what Jesus was doing in his healing. He was showing his authority. And so we see that here in chapter 2. So there he was. One of the things that... that uh, grab my attention is that I believe he was in his own home. It says it was reported, verse 1, he was at home. Many were gathered together. So Jesus, there was so much fascination about him. They followed him home. Y'all know how that feels? It's like he can't get a break everywhere he goes. I mean, it's nice to, to, to be known and especially nice to be liked but it's not always comfortable. And so they followed him home, and they were there, and graciously he decides to teach. And apparently he had opened his home to as many as it could fit. Though it was probably wide open because no one else could fit in. And there was these four men, and they had a friend. And they were carrying this man because he couldn't walk, and they wanted to get close to Jesus. They got as close as they could. They realized that's not close enough. We can't even get to the door. This house is so packed. So what do they do? They climb up on the roof. And what do they do? They tear Jesus' roof open and drop the man right in the middle of his room. What's Jesus' response? I could tell you what my response is. Dude, who's going to fix this roof now? What do y'all think is not going to rain? <laughs> they, they cut a hole in his roof and let him down. But Jesus' response was different. It says, he saw their face. Did you read that? In verse 5, and when Jesus saw their faith, what faith did he see? What would he have seen? How can we see faith? You, you know you can't see faith. What you see is what faith produces. You see somebody's action that shows that they have faith. In other words, faith is seen by its action. Faith is seen by our behavior. If we say that we love God, then I, I don't know, I'm kind of crazy, but I expect to see you on church. You said you love God. Right? We say, nothing will stop me from serving you, God, but 10 inches of snow so kind of slows it down a bit. In other words, it's our behavior that shows whether or not our faith is real. Not just our mouth. People can talk a lot. What did Jesus see in their behavior? 
I think he saw, first of all, the man who was sick had four guys who cared about him. And that's apparent because they carried him. He couldn't walk. What is also apparent is you wouldn't carry somebody just to be carrying them, just to be taking a walk across the street. They were going somewhere they thought was important. So they were coming to Jesus because they believed, all five of them, the four carrying and the one being carried, believed that Jesus could do something unusual. He could actually help this man. They believed that. They didn't just say they believed it. They showed, they showed that they believed it in their action, and they came to this house. Their faith showed me something else. They thought it was worth it to fight through the crowd. I don't know, as I get older, I'm less and less inclined to go anywhere where crowds are. I'm not afraid of crowds. I'd just, I just rather not. They thought it was worth it. We have all kinds of events. Well, that was before COVID. We would have, you know, Fourth of July fireworks. And I'm like, man, I'll watch them from my back porch. I, I just don't want to go through all that traffic. I don't want to hassle. It's, to me, it's not worth it. So they deemed that coming to the traffic spot <laughs> where all the people were gathered, it was going to be worth it. Even if you got to carry this dude, it was going to be worth it. They deemed, they made an assessment. Their faith made an assessment that the cost is not too great. The result is worth the cost. Their faith made that assessment, all five of them. Because you would, you would think that the, the guy is sick, he would say, look, dude, I wouldn't ask y'all this if I didn't think it was important. And y'all know I can't get here on my own because I know I'm going to need something else. You know, if this don't work, I'm going to ask y'all for something else. And y'all going to be like, no, no, that's it, man. We carried you through all that. Ain't nothing happened. You, 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 t you had us take you to that phony and, and, and nothing came out of it. So they all believe this. Now, they also believe something else that if they could just climb up on the roof and cut a hole and drop this dude down, that Jesus would act. If they could just make contact with Jesus, he would act. He would see them, he would work, and they didn't know how he would do it, but their friend would be healed. They made an assessment that no matter how much it took to cut that roof and no matter how much it would take later to repair it, I don't know if they would say like, okay, yeah, we, you know, who going who to fix the roof? We'd be glad to fix it because if our friend gets healed, it's worth it. They made an assessment. You know, sometimes we make it a little too easy for people where they don't have to make any assessment at all. <clears throat> Men here, you're here from Milwaukee Rescue Mission. I'm not going to pick on you today, but I'll use you as an example because I'm going to challenge you. It's easy coming in the snow when you have a van right there that just picks you up right from the place. But there's coming a time when you finish that program, you will have a chance on your own to make a decision to come to church. That's when I'm going to see your faith. Your faith might be real now, but it's a little hard to show when somebody else does all the action. But when you begin to take the action, 
and for yourself to say, I am following Christ and I'm willing to pay whatever cost that is, I'll do it. I'll do it. Now, your heart may be there right now. These men showed their faith by their action. Jesus shows something too. It says he perceived their faith. Jesus can perceive faith. <laughs> we need to be reminded of that. Jesus knows our heart. We can't fool him. We can come and we can sing, we can dance, we can jump up and down and show excitement and, and all kinds of energy. Jesus sees our heart. I can't see hearts like Jesus could. I have to look for other signals and signs. Like I want to see that you're awake today. That, that helps me, you know, see a little bit that you might be getting something with God's word. <laughs> but Jesus sees the heart and he can't and he's not fooled. But he also sees something, as, as I mentioned before. He sees what these men did. He saw their action and he perceived their faith through their action. And we can do that today. People use the term, don't judge me. Well, you're wrong. I'm going to judge you every time. And what I'm going to use to judge you is you. I'm going to use what you say and what you do. What you don't do and what you don't say. What you say that you don't do and what you do that you don't say. I'm going to use all of that to make a perception of you. And you know what? You're going to do the same for me. Jesus looked at them. Jesus made an assessment too. When he saw their faith, he looked at the man, and he spoke to the man. Like I said, I would have said, which one of y'all going to fix the roof? Um, let's, let's settle that matter first. <laughs> but Jesus wasn't concerned about the roof because he saw something more important than that. In our work, in our ministry, we have to assess that souls are more important. And they're worth our time and our effort, aren't they? God sees things that way. Jesus sees things that way. Oh, there's a cost involved. There's always going to be a cost involved. And we don't see that written by Mark, but somebody came back and fixed their roof. <laughs> or somebody got rained on in Jesus' house, right? Something had to happen, but an assessment was made by the men, but an assessment was made by Jesus as well that, look, guys, I believe Jesus was living in the house, and, and, and some of those followers of him, his closest disciples, were probably there too, and they were probably looking and thinking, if they didn't say it, thinking the same thing, you know, these folks going to be gone, and, and tonight we're going to have to sleep in this place, and who's going to take care of things then? Jesus made an assessment that it's worth it. It's worth it. But he makes a point of his authority by what he says to that man. Here's what he says. Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus intentionally and specifically used those words because he wanted to declare and let it be seen his authority. As he spoke those words, it says that the Pharisees gathered around. It says, um, <clears throat> Some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. They didn't say it out loud, but questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, they were right in their assessment that only God can forgive sins. But Jesus specifically said to this man who was crippled, your sins are forgiven you. 
He didn't say, look, I'm going to touch you and, 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 and I'm going to transfer to your legs strength and healing and, I, and your legs are going to become strong. He said, no, your sins are forgiven. And he knew that this would bring a question from the scribes and they did in their heart question. Why did he know that they questioned this? Because he intensely said it to get them to think, to challenge their thinking. They had perhaps now had seen or heard of the miracles he's done before, and they knew he had the power to do it. But he's now letting them know that I not only have power over the physical because I am the creator, and I can give life, and I can sustain life, but I also have power. I have moral authority. I have physical authority over those things that are physical. I have moral and spiritual authority over what is right. He says, your sins are forgiven you. He says, I have authority then to, to say what's right and what's wrong. I have authority to say what is sin and what is not sin. You know, the world's going crazy today because they don't want me to say that certain things are sinful. They want to say that Junior can be called by anything he or she wants to be called now. It can change their gender and their naming as they please. They want the authority to say that anybody, I, I see these commercials coming on TV. We are not to judge how people love each other. What they want to say is homosexuality is fine. And it's acceptable, and who are you to judge it? Jesus says, I have the moral authority to set what is right and to call right, right, and wrong, wrong, and to tell you what's right and what's wrong. So he has authority. He says to this man, your sins are forgiven you. He is asserting that my dominance and my power over the physical world does not stop at that. I don't just have power like some magician to speak something and have it happen. I have authority and command over everything. We see this all the way through the chapter. He's expressing this. He's opening the eyes of those who come. Jesus knows that people are attracted to him and they're fascinated, but they don't all get it. They don't all understand who he is, and he's letting them know. He makes it clear in this. He says, when they say, who can forgive sins but God? They're thinking this in heart. Look at verse 8. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or say, rise, take up your bed and walk. He says, if I have a power over physical uh, 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 things to, 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 to change, to bring life, to renew. I also have power over moral, over spiritual things, to say what's right and to say what's wrong, to condemn, to judge, to accept, to reject. I have that power. And so he says... Verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. No one anywhere else 
ever displayed that kind of authority in all of history and in all of the Bible to forgive sins. Godly men could announce that God would forgive, but they themselves had no authority to forgive themselves. They don't have that right. They don't have that power. Jesus says clearly, I said this so you know something about me. That you realize I'm not just a healer. I am here to deal with the spiritual matter of sin, and I can forgive sin, and I do forgive sin. Praise God that Christ forgives sins. He has the power to forgive our sins, and he shows that. He made a point. A pointing that out to them. And that's the whole point of this first interaction. Let's get into the second one in chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Jesus calls Levi. Verse 13, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. Notice wherever he goes, he's attracting a big crowd. But out of that crowd, he calls this individual says he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth and said to him, follow me. And we understand Levi, whose name also was Matthew, the writer of the Gospel of Matthew. He was a tax collector. He was sitting there at the tax booth. They were probably set up a booth by the sea to tax fishermen. What would they tax fishermen for? The same reason why we tax folks today. They probably tax them for their boat, how much time they spend on the, on the sea. They probably tax them for the fish, how many fish they could buy. You know, right now you got to buy a fisher's license to fish, and you can only fish certain ways, certain times, uh, uh, all kind of, of things. And so he was a tax collector, and just like today, tax collecting was something that was not looked high upon. It was not held in high regard. Uh, mainly because it was an authority, it was a power push from the Roman government to say, hey, we're going to let y'all live the way you want, but you're going to pay us tax, and uh, we, we're going to get money from you. And, and that's what they did, and the people they used to get money from Jews, they used Jews themselves, and people hated that. The Jewish people hated it, like, dude, you, you're like a traitor. You're just being used by them. And they had good reason to hate them because many of the tax collectors overtaxed and they were rich. They, they kept money for themselves. So they paid to Rome the tax, but they kept money for themselves. And, and Levi was no different. But now there was a difference. Jesus was calling him. There's a couple points I want to make here. He calls him while he's doing his job as a tax collector. And, and that's just like saying... That's like saying he's a drug dealer in, in, in our society. Nobody liked him, and they thought it was disgusting what he did. He's a sinner. Jesus makes this point later on in, in this event. But Jesus calls this sinner. You know, everyone that Jesus calls is a sinner. And in fact, he only calls sinners. Now, he makes a point here, and let's look at the point. Because later after he called, let's, let's not forget the obvious. It says, he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. <laughs> 
obedience to the call of Jesus. Jesus says, Levi, you're going to be a part of my team. Come. The implication there is that Levi, just like the two in chapter 1, the two groups of, of brothers, they left everything and they followed Jesus. They were fishermen. Now they're following Christ. Jesus says, I'm going to make you become fishers of men. Levi left his place and began to follow Jesus. He obeyed the call. Notice also in verse uh, 15, Jesus went home with Levi, and Levi prepared a meal for him. And it apparently, it was a huge group. Everywhere where Jesus went, there was a huge group. But I guess this gathering at Levi's house was, was something, maybe something that he did, did regularly. I don't know. But there was a lot of people there. And it says, at his house, there were many tax collectors and sinners. <laughs> they, they ran in the same group. <laughs> That's the group that Levi ran in. But you notice Jesus is here now. And there's trouble now because uh, there, it says in verse 16, the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? The scribes were spiritual people. And they thought that their uh, um, understanding of the law, they had a lot of different rules and guidelines that they would take from, from the law. And the truth is they misapplied those things. We'll see that later in the chapter as well. But they looked at themselves as better. They looked at themselves as above, and they would not associate with people below them. And they thought that this standard should be placed on Jesus and his disciples. And so they asked him the question, why? Why are you hanging out with them dudes? Jesus makes an interesting statement. And he says this, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus is saying, I'm the physician, I'm the doctor, and I've come to attend to those who are sick. Those who are well don't need me, and I won't do anything for them. But those who are sick recognize they did, that they need me and I've come to help them. A couple things. Je Jesus only helps those who are sick. What does that mean? Until we realize that we have need of a physician, the physician does not work in our life. He, he, he does not come down. We, God has to bring us to the point where we're willing to see the doctor. You ever have that? You have something going on in your body, and, and you just figure, you know, you, I don't want to see the doctor yet. And it's going to happen. It's going to go over. It's not going away. They have a saying in dentistry, you know, ignore your teeth, and they'll go away. Uh, well, we have symptoms of things, and, and, and we just don't decide to get it cared for. And we don't have the doctor just mysteriously call us on the phone and say, well, you know, I know you've been... Uh, walking with that limp. I want you to come in and see me. No. If he did, we'd probably ignore it. No, I'm okay. I'm cool. The Holy Spirit works in our lives in such a way that he lets us know at some point that we're sick, that we need Jesus, that we have a desperate need, and if we don't see him, we'll die. It's the Holy Spirit that makes that plain. Otherwise, we're walking around, making excuses, never willing to go see the doctor. Jesus says, I'm the doctor. 
But I don't go to those who are well. I go to those who are sick. Now, who is well? The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So there are no well, but there are people who are well in their own thinking, in their own mind. All who turn from Jesus are sick and just don't know it or sick and won't admit it. They're in great need, but they won't go see the doctor. Jesus says, I'm coming to gather those who are sick. In other words, those who my spirit, the Holy Spirit, has put his finger on, who, who has touched them, bring them to realize their need of Christ. And so, you know, when, when I give the gospel, when I, when I speak, when I interact with people, I'm praying, Lord, would your Holy Spirit touch a heart today? Because I can't do that. You have to do that to, to, to make them know that they need you. I see their need, but they don't see it. They think they're okay. Or they think whatever they have is no big deal. They can live with it. So Jesus says, if you're not sick, I can't do anything for you. If you don't recognize that you need me, you will stay in your sinful condition and you will think you are okay until you come before God and recognize. God says, if you don't come through Christ, you can't have no part with me. So it's a condemning message when he says, I've come as a physician to those who are sick. He's speaking to scribes and Pharisees who don't think that they need Jesus. Let us not be like him or them. Let us come in a submission. We ought to start our day. Lord, I need you. Not only do I need, you know, our problem is we get fixed and then we think we're okay. We, 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 we perceive that all we have is a physical problem. Lord, if I just get a job, I'll be all right. Lord, if I just had this, I'll be okay. God wants us to realize that we need him for our very life, for our very living, for our very existence. We have a spiritual need as sinners that we can't come before God unless God deals with that sin problem. We tend to see all the other problems, but we ignore our sin problem. We think we can clean ourselves up, and it's just not true. We need Jesus. Now, who needs Jesus? Is the one who just got saved, the one who needs Jesus, the one who's just about to get saved, the one who needs Jesus, the one who's been saved for some time? We all need Jesus. We all need him. We have a desperate need for him. The next thing he deals with is a question about fasting, verses 18 through 22. And so the Pharisees come. He actually says the people came and, and say to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So they, they, they look at this show of religion, the show of discipline that fasting shows. And it says, why aren't your disciples, your followers, Jesus, why aren't they doing things this way as well? And Jesus makes a very interesting point, a very informative point. 
and he, used, he uses an understanding, a social event of, of a wedding. And he says, in essence, the wedding guests can't fast, or they don't fast when the bridegroom is with them. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Jesus says, I'm the bridegroom. All who are following me are guests in the wedding. And we're looking forward to this great event. He says, as long as I'm here, they're not going to fast. But then he says, there's a time coming when the bridegroom will be taken away. Verse 20. Then they will fast in that day. Jesus is referring to the days that we are in right now. When Jesus would leave, physically leave earth and go back to be in heaven. And all his followers would be, he would be absent from them in his physical presence. That's the time that we face right now. We moan and we groan, we struggle during this time. None of us here today has ever seen Jesus. We trust him by faith. The Holy Spirit remarkably gives us that faith to see and to understand our need and to see what Jesus has done for us. But Jesus isn't walking on earth right now. And so we're looking forward to that time when his promises that he's made will be fulfilled. And we're in a time of discipline. We're in a time of challenge. The world mocks us for our faith. Why do you uh, 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 restrain yourself from all of these pleasures or so-called pleasures of, of, of life and you focus on Jesus? Well, because we know it's worth it. But we also know that it, it's a hard time for us right now when Jesus is not here. And we discipline ourselves during this time. There's coming a time when he's going to come back. So he uses that to, to help them understand. He also, Jesus has an assault against religious ceremony for the sake of ceremony. Religious practices that people don't even understand why they do what they do. And they accomplish little. And so they come in and say, hey, they fast, why don't you fast? They don't understand that. Jesus does some things purposely. You'll notice even in chapter 1, he comes to the synagogues on the Sabbath. And he begins to do things that they think are wrong and unlawful. So the next question deals with that, in fact. And we see that in verse 23 through 28. It says, on the Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. They were walking through the fields, and on the way through, his disciples were plucking grain, some of the harvest, and they were eating it. And some people looked at him and said, hey, you can't do that. That ain't right. It's the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do that. They had made up special rules. Jesus did show them that, hey, that is not a standard of the Bible that they can't do what you say they can and I'll tell you why, and he explains to them why. But they had made certain rules that you were not to work on Sabbath. That, now, that's, that's the Old Testament rule. You weren't supposed to work on Sabbath. But they had narrowed it down to say, look, certain things were considered work, and certain things, uh, 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 if you did so many, they had it down to the number of steps that a person could take. 
so that if they take over those amount of steps on the Sabbath, that was work and they were in sin. Now, the Bible never said that, but in their uh, putting on the traditions of man, they, 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 they came up with some of these things themselves. They, they, they were setting up a system, and that's what religion does. It sets up a man-made system by which if you follow it, you're acceptable to God. And that's, that's not what the gospel is all about. So Jesus explains to them, he says, man, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Now, what does he mean by that? The Sabbath is a day of rest and worship. In fact, we should see both of them as unique and God-given, and we should see both of them as coinciding together. We can worship together and rest in our worship to the Lord. We recognize God. We take time out to worship and to serve him. Now, yes, we can do that throughout the week, but we take a day to do that and, and to, to dedicate towards that. But he says the Sabbath was made for man. God knew that we would, we would need to take time out. He knew that Jobs would say, hey, I want you to work seven days. And people would push themselves to do that, as we see that in our own day. People are so stressed out and working. They, they're trying to pay this bill and that bill, and, and they're depending on themselves, and they throw out God's uh, 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 standard and, and God's principle for rest. I don't have time to rest, Pastor. I got mouths to feed. I got food to put on the table. They begin to get caught up in that rat race and they forget what it is that that food is supposed to do for them, what, what it is that the job is supposed to provide. Is to take time out to acknowledge your creator, to worship him and esteem to him that which he, he is due. So Jesus gives a principle to them that this Sabbath was given for your good, not for a hardship. And he uses the example of David, that David would, would uh, um, went into the, 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 uh, the, the place of God and he took the showbread. He took the bread that was set aside for sacrifice. And in a, in a special situation, he ate of that because he was starving. He had nothing else to eat. He was running for his life from King David. And, and he had gone into the temple, and, and he and his, his group of men, and that was given them to them as a provision, and they ate it. And Jesus doesn't condemn what David did. And in fact, he challenges these men that they couldn't condemn it either. And he uses that as an illustration of how God's provision of Sabbath was not to be used in a legalistic way as they were using it. And he makes the point that centers on his authority again when he says this in verse 27. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Lord means authority. He has authority. He is the one in charge, even on the Sabbath, even on the, 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 the guidelines that they thought that they had come up with, that they could 
They could manipulate and, and, and trick Jesus. He says, no. <laughs> Look, I'm Lord over all creation in the physical realm. I'm Lord of all creation in the spiritual and the moral realm. I'm Lord of everything that God has created, including his, his uh, regulations for the Sabbath. I am Lord over all of that. Jesus intentionally went into these areas to bring up this discussion so that they would see he was challenging their ideas. He could show, not, not just as a rebel, but he could show that he was Lord over all of these things. He was setting forth his authority. When he sets forth his authority, it means it calls for a response from us. Our response needs to be very similar to the response that Levi had when Jesus called him. It simply says, he was in the area, and while walking by the sea, he came about, came across Levi, and he called him. He called him. Jesus was in a crowded place, but he called one individual in this special uh, uh, position, and he, and he centered on Levi. We don't know what Levi's resume was. We're not led to believe he had any impressive things to offer to Jesus as a disciple. But Jesus called him. And Levi's response was to follow Jesus. Our call today is to follow Jesus. To walk in submission of his authority in our life. For him to be Lord and for us to obey. We need to say, Lord, what would you have me to do? What do you want me, how do you want me to follow you, to obey you? I am yours. I'm not bargaining. I'm not negotiating. I have no power. You are the one in authority. You speak, and I'll follow. That's the response that God is calling each of us to today. Have you answered that call? Have you submitted yourself under the authority of Jesus? You know, I could encourage you and tell you all the things that, reasons why, and the good things that can happen to you. But you also need to know it's not based on good things happening to you. It's based on God's authority. He has that right over you and over me. And all things that happen to you under his authority aren't going to be good. They're going to be difficult, be challenging. They're going to test whether or not you trust in that authority in your life. If you recognize that he's Lord over everything and has power as he claims to have and will use that for his glory. But there it is. He calls you to surrender to that authority. We either surrender to that now or we succumb to it later. He is Lord. He will show his authority, but he's calling to individuals to himself right now. I pray that you submit under that authority. You will say to him, Lord, I recognize who you are. My eyes are being opened to the, true, the, the truth of your character and of your nature. And I, by my will, by my own desire, by, 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 by my willingness, I submit myself willingly to you. I need you to 
to work in my life. I need you to keep me under that submiss submission. But Lord, here I am. I want to follow you. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the th authority that you show in your son, Jesus Christ. He is going to be the judge, the ruler, and Lord of all your creation. We have the opportunity to submit to him now. I pray that we do that. We recognize that is something that we do as sinners coming to a Savior. As those who've been saved, continuing to submit to your call, to your authority, acknowledging that in every phase of our lives, that you have the right to rule, you have the right to be Lord. And we would do well to submit to that. Thank you for those whose hearts are surrendered to you right now. Who are right now in their hearts saying, Lord, you are my Lord. You are my God. I desire to live for you. I desire to obey you. I desire to walk in your strength and in your power. I thank you for all who pray this right now. And I pray that you will show yourself strong in their lives. And that their action will show forth a faith and a real trust in you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.